Welcome to episode 51 of The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. On this episode, our guests are Haley Lohman and Kim Zumfei. Haley Lohman is an artist in Los Angeles who works in performance and sculpture. She is the director and co-founder of LACA, which is an acronym for Los Angeles Contemporary Archive. What should be archived? What should be taken on? We take objects from marginalized groups. What are items that are too contemporaneous? What are items that are deemed trash? What are things that we do not perceive to be necessary to be archived? And what does it mean to live with these materials and to be collecting in the present? Kim Zumfei is an artist, teacher, and writer in Los Angeles, and her installation work often deals with architecture and the way the bodies move through spaces. I think it's very important for me in my practice to live outside of capital, um, to try to create other pathways of understanding work that isn't directly engaged with people trying to build career in a standard fashion. And at the end of the show, we'll hear from Los Angeles band Plus True Light. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. And you can also find us on iTunes by going to the iTunes store and searching for The People Radio. Once you're there, you can hear all of our past shows. You can also rate the show and review it if you like. It and really also helps subscribe us. to it. Yeah. And you can find us on uh, Insert Blanc Press at insertblancpress.net. Haley Loman and Kim Zumfei, welcome to the people. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Yeah, so Los Angeles Contemporary Archive is a digital and physical repository. It's a non-circulating library and archive where we collect things like studio material, performance ephemera, digital materials, um, documentation, and it's also a space where we can talk about ideas surrounding preservation. So I started the space with Eric Kim and he began he also was one of the co-founders of Human Resources Gallery. And I think we had very different ideas behind starting the spaces. He was working with a space that was generating so much activity that he was thinking about how is this being recorded? How are we taking a pause and looking at this all of this work that's happening in the space. And I had just done a performance called Cleaning Human Resources at Human Resources where I was unsatisfied with the documentation and wanted a place to look at the research material or look at the performance not as a finished object being shown again, but rather that this was a space as people entered it, they knew it was something that happened in the past, and now we can garner insight into it through the ephemera. And how is it different from a normal archive? A normal archive, you know, at a at a museum or the Huntington Gardens or whatever. Like, why is it why is it different? It's different in many ways. I mean, we're asking questions, as in, what can what should be archived? What should be taken on? We take objects from marginalized groups. 
Um, that's a bit of a focus. We um, we're also discuss- discussing the institution, and uh, we're right. We're situated next to the Getty Research Institute. What are items that are too contemporaneous? What are items that are deemed trash? What are things that we do not perceive to be necessary to be archived? And what does it mean to have these materials, to be to live with these materials, and to be collecting in the present, um, and as a community watching it grow with time? Yeah, one of the questions I came in as we started discussing about labor and what that means in relationship to Laka and Haley's practice and my practice was this um, difference between it, if we can differentiate between work and labor and what the difference is there as an artist and as a director um, and in the different kind of modalities that we work in. And there are obviously a lot of people working within LACA to achieve certain goals, to um, identify things, put them in some sort of order, um, take things in. But then my interest was more around rather than the actual work that takes up time is the bigger question of what we're laboring for. Like, what are the goals of what we're doing within our art practices? Can you just real quick maybe break down what is the difference between work and labor in this context? Well, work is more, in my mind, is more a place of people making a living, people making money. It's a sort of capitalist structure that holds in a life and makes it um, viable that somebody can eat and pay their rent and function within society as opposed to labor, especially as an artist, as a bigger questions that are outside of capital that are more about what kind of effect are we trying to have in the world? Who are we working with? What kind of relationships are we building? Um, and what kind of goals within those relationships? So I feel like one thing to say about LACA is, because you were talking about thinking about the institution um, that LACA isn't, it's, you know, it's not like the Getty Research Library. Um, it, it doesn't have a huge institution as it's backing it. It feels very much like it's answering to the artists and writers that it is uh, collecting. And it's coming from the, a desire from those artists and writers to kind of keep a handle on what they're producing with their labor and kind of like... By collecting it, I'm guessing we're we're learning something from seeing these things accumulate. Yes, or yeah. The when I say that the space is artist run, it's sometimes less about the fact that I'm an artist and turning the lights on every day, and more about the fact that artists are deciding what should be what they think is necessary to be archived. So when they donate material, they are making a conscious decision that this is something that they think should be in LACA. For example, we have both Carol Che and Michael Ned Holte's archive, and they are both art writers in Los Angeles and have very have donated strikingly different items. And both, I think, tells us what they deem important, what their idea of success or achievement, 
um, and the things that they've picked up along the way that offers insight into uh, their writing practices. So artists are shaping the archive by what they contribute. Uh, well, then what kind of stuff would an art writer like Michael Nedholte or Carol Che, like what, what sort of things would they contribute or think should be in there? Carol Che donated some pay stubs from working, which are wonderful and um, show the price imbalance of what she was paid at some of these large institutions. And I mean, some of them are for $20 at MoCA. Or, gosh, I don't, I, I'm, I can't even think off the top of my head, but an interview with Marina Abramovic uh, for $35. Um, so that, sh- that to her shows us how the economy of the art writer um, at this time. And Michael Neds, don- he donated six bags with scrappings and pieces of paper and pamphlets um, from every time he walks into a gallery, he's picking up things, he's taking things home. And so they're vastly different, and both are informative and speak to how they're going about their work. Right. And Kim, I mean, you have stuff in the archive, right? I have a couple of things. And maybe it would help us understand it even more, like, because you're an artist artist, capital A, right? What, what, I mean, what kind of stuff have you contributed to it? Um, I have uh, an artist publication or work that I did as a series and I also have a um, publication that went along with a performance that I co-wrote with my collaborator Satoi Fukushima um, that we did at UC Riverside so we co-wrote something along with the performance and then um, there's a third book that was published on a collaboration I did um, uh, on the school for the movement of the Technicolor people that was co-written with Ashley Hunt and Taisha Paget, and those things. Um, it's important for me personally that those works are collaborative in nature, and those things got put into the archive because they become this further um, dialogue that becomes apparent between people. Um, I don't think, however, that it really documents the things that actually happened. It's more like ephemera, even though they're booklets and they are things you can interact with and read. They don't actually capture the um, performances that happened. Right. These are materials that are in the library Mm -hmm. rather than the archive. Right. And we separate the two at LACA. Because? Um, so, so do lots of spaces. Uh, so do lots. So does the Getty Research Institute. The library is non-circulating, and we hold artist books. And non-circulating the, means what? For, you can't check them out. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And the archive is where we hold artist ephemera and materials along that nature. Hmm. I think actually something that I know has interests me with your work is is intimacy and the way in which you and I, how I've been exposed to your work and how I, how LACA has got, has acquired your books um, is really interesting. Yeah. I usually go about an entrance into my work in a very um, evasive way. I generally don't have very direct studio visits with people. I mean, I kind of avoid that, um, accessibility or engagement. I don't have an online website. My online website 
says something that's very vague about thank you for being here and don't you miss me. Um, so I, I create all these pathways, but really I'm a lot more interested in presence and people um, being interested in talking to me directly. And as soon as that happens, I'm, I'm very forward with what kind of information I give and providing materials and a pathway into understanding what I'm doing. Why is that? Like, why, why that decision? I think it's very important for me in my practice to live outside of capital, um, to try to create other pathways of understanding um, work that isn't directly engaged with people trying to build career in a standard fashion, which is, you know, the general online website is sort of a catalog of somebody's career, which is part of what Haley and I have been talking about in terms of how you catalog your own career versus an archive, which is cataloging um, the Los Angeles community and what's happening with particular groups in the Los Angeles community. Um, so I've withdrawn that because I think that functions to create an ease of accessibility that does function directly to create an income for people. And it's not that I don't need an income, I need an income just like everybody else. But I think there are other pathways to that and it doesn't need, um, I don't need to be on display in that way. I don't think it's a, um, since my work is about intimacy, it sort of functions against what I'm proposing in the world. So we met while building a wall for hire and, and then we had a book exchange on like a diagonal sloping uh, cha uh, picnic table. And then again, we built another, a second wall at LACA where I paid Kim to come in as an expert and we labored together uh, because power relations are something I'm really invested in, in LACA and in my own work, where if I'm going to spend money, I will work alongside the person um, and there will, it'll be a constant collab a discussion on collaboration. We will both bring our expertise into the scenario. Um, there's levels of failure, there's successes that are all embedded into this wall building. And then after the second wall, we re-met for a studio visit in LACA. Yeah, I think that studio visit is really where we started getting more in discussion of what it means, especially in terms of the, again, this overlap of work and labor since we were laboring together. I mean, a lot of what I do to make a living is working on exhibitions um, with different organizations and sometimes I can't differentiate um, my practice from the laboring I do for money because it tends to be with the same people, the same discussions. And I think this is where it comes to the studio visit. You know, the kind of labor I did led to a relationship, which leads to talking about work. But then it wraps back into um, being associated with working with people in these ways to be more a functional or a foundation, um, a place that can uh, support a lot of different people's practices in exhibition. You're listening to The People on Chung 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find us on iTunes by searching the iTunes store for The People Radio. And you can always find us online by going to Insert Blanc Press at insertblancpress.net. And now let's get back to our conversation with Haley Loman and Kim Zumpy. 
since we were talking about working together as a basis or a start of our aesthetic conversations and um, friendship and relationship, um, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about uh, both of our separate interests in collaboration. Um, so collaboration is a sort of crucial part of my practice. I think about collaboration. I've collaborated with uh, people in different ways as well as non-people and thinking through the problematics of that. So um, I've worked with people on performances, which is more of a standard kind of collaboration, but I've also had conversations with people online that I didn't know that I consider collaborators to produce work. I've also collaborated with a sidewalk. So through all these kinds of processes, I'm thinking about agency and power dynamics and what that means. Um, I also think of myself often as working in installation and sculpture, but I often arrive for my work, meaning I'm present, um, which isn't so clearly a performance, but I'm always thinking about performativity within work. Um, and it'd be great to hear how you think about that separately than me. So I've been working with an oral history collection where I am do I'm kind of exercising things that I wasn't ab able to do with LACA. LACA, um, and we've talked a lot about this, um, how there's a lot of people involved, people are shaping it and affecting it, and everyone's a volunteer. Everyone gets paid the same, which is nothing. <laughs> And it's a it's a shared space. We all um, we all get to take a place of authority and have that authority go away. Sometimes it's an exchange, and we've talked about how to rid ourselves of uh, these hierarchies. And I've gone to you for advice on this. Um, but with the oral history collection that I've been building this year, I worked with a person who was spending time at LACA. And then I started working with a judge, uh, Judge Stephen Perrin, who is also in theater and he's a cantor. And it has been, it began as a collaboration and then I started to kind of take control over the final work. Um, and it's been a discussion of control. So my voice isn't present in the final transcript. I am writing this as text rather than it being an oral um, piece, um, which is why it's so interesting to be taking part with this uh, because the harumphs and the sighs and the laughs are part of it, whereas part of this, whereas um, I can edit those things. And I'm kind of reinscribing the power, inscribing the hegemonic voices. Like, why would I want to reinscribe the hegemonic voices that I'm ascribing to? Um, but I think exercising this authorial power over the final result is interesting to me as, um, as I look at things like In Cold Blood with Truman Capote, where uh, it's both nonfiction and fiction, history as novel, novel as history. And we've discussed this a bit in kind of asking what is real and what is an accurate history and how problematic 
um, a testimonial narrative is and how we can kind of shape it. I'm drawing the comparison of between artist and archivist and that I'm making active choices and that I'm basically taking something contradictory and I'm pushing it as far as I can. This, um, the project that I worked on where I was having conversations with people that didn't know me, I didn't make myself known, but I did make it known that I'd be making something for them. So I was having a conversation with them and part of the exhibition was part of that conversation would be on display, which of course I did not ask their permission, but at the same time I was gifting them a photograph back for this directive they were telling me. So basically I went online and found these people, asked them to tell me what to do with this object, and they basically would propose something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily give up my agency. I would have a conversation with them, um, but part of the photographic space that I provided um, in the exhibition was the conversations as well as the final photograph, which was kind of a gift back to them. So this sort of gifting culture of sharing and then making decisions and sometimes those decisions would be mutual and sometimes those decisions would be um, not even discussed. I did propose the project I did as uh, not as an art project but just as something that I was doing in the world so there was a lot of back and forth for me between withholding and then anything that they wanted to discuss with me, I would discuss with them over email. The ultimate space of intimacy being that that conversation was only between themselves and me, but then I provided a window into that without asking their permission. So I think the back and forth between these kinds of spaces and taking information that people were willing to provide me and deciding what to do with it, it creates or points out this really points out a really problematic space between what it even means to collaborate. And I think that's similar in relationship to what you're doing with this archive and making choices and inserting a kind of voice, even though your literal voice isn't present, you're inserting a voice or a gesture within the space of memory and what's being held um, in these documents. I think that there's also something with loss of control in the performances that I've done, there is an unknown outcome. And we've talked a bit about that in um, you guiding people through, when I think of your lavender safe space in, at Human Resources, that you are present um, and guiding people through that, uh, which I think of as a collaboration. And it's also to to be present in the work and to be with people. And there is, I would say, an element of control in that, which is why I'm all, I try to be present when people enter the archive because it is part, part performance, uh, especially when we began and there were empty shelves because we started collecting in two, March 2013. And we had a few, they acted more as props or as an installation. The value with the collection wasn't there yet. And so um, it was a bit of role playing and I was physically there to instigate control. Yeah, I think just having our bodies present in the space automatically talks to um, 
how much we're willing to give up or control that situation or feel I'm similarly in the space of feeling a loss of control because when I'm present with people in my work, I'm not necessarily guiding it. Or I don't really have an intention about any sort of particular way it should go, but I feel it necessary to be present and experience that space with people, which automatically puts something on top of it about those relationships and what those relationships mean and how they play out sometimes with people I know and sometimes with people I don't know, which would be similar to being present in the archive when people show up. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're in the business of managing agency, right? Like your own and the people who are participating in the work, right? Like your own as an artist and also people who participate with you. Or the inability to manage agency, right. Right. I think, on the opposite side. Yeah, I sought you out recently <laughs> when I had felt like something at LACA had gotten out of my out of my control, and I foster... Um, inclusivity um, in the space and different voices being heard and that is such something that is so important to me and um, when do we let ourselves lose control when do we let a, a project um, spiral and when when do we step in yeah, I think one of the th interesting things about LACA and how it functions and how you've pulled me into those conversations is it doesn't feel like the normal kind of conversation that happens around community spaces, but it really is rooted in the very real lived relationships between people and how that's functioning um, to build people's desires to have an aesthetic voice in the world as well as how people are just relating to each other. And so there's this um, attentiveness to the very real bodies that are trying to function without any real intention of an outcome except to give people agency within that space and then trying to figure out how to do that better. Yeah. I. What is one of the most exciting things for me with LACA is that with time, it gains value. We're collecting um, many things that get brought into the space. We aren't going in and selecting people who have proven this kind of worth or this success. Um, we're collecting everything now and in the future we'll see what how things shape up and things will come in and out of value. And it has evolved over so much time. I mean, it started as an artist project that was empty and or as an empty installation and I was it, it was primarily performative and then it has moved to Chinatown from the Gebali complex and gotten nonprofit status and with having time pass a, an artwork can develop um, so many layers yeah and I think in that we both try to be very aware and present with the um, more intensified power dynamics that come with relations of class, um, queerness, people of color, and always trying to consider that within how things are being built or the relationships that are going on as part of the very real dynamic and conversation that's happening in our work. I feel like LACA 
as a specific thing, but also the projects that you both are talking about, take as a given like a, a kind of community or a sociality or a social space. And I found that somewhat lacking as a thing that people talk about in general in the art world that I happen to be wandering around in lately. And so I'm totally fascinated by the way you guys are talking about community without even really using that word. And we don't have to, because I know that that word can be really loaded. And sometimes that's why I like this, the phrase or the word sociality or a social space. Um, but it seems as if you're, you're talking about that these things are working only with the kind of community. I think Kim and your work, it's like, if people show up to this uh, safe space, the making spaces thing that was at uh, Human Resources, then they are the community. And maybe it's you and one other person or you and three other people. But is that is the community like an important or a thing or a drive or something that you guys are attempting to foster or create or pay attention to? Um, for me, I find community a troublesome word yes because it assumes in my mind that there is a group of people who have condensed a set of goals that are clear and specific and I actually don't think that that is helpful not that on the other side that I think um, we should be focusing on the individual but I do think we should be focusing on the fact that these spaces especially Los Angeles spaces um what we call community-driven spaces hold such a variety of subjectivities that we understand in kind of a general way. But within those, I think there's a misunderstanding that there's so many that aren't recognized because they're condensed into a general population. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that in relationship to people and trying to not think about community, but really think about the social space yeah, of it's, aesthetics. It's, it's the sociality. I mean, which is why... I like in asking that question, like the word community, I think fell out of practice in a way because the problem is, is exactly as you said, the word community uh, ascribes like the idea that there's a group of people that hold similar goals. And I think that often it, it, it effaces a lot of the difference, the, you know, living in difference, like the, 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 the issues that are like, that come up in a quote unquote community, the, the problematics and, and the different types of, uh, actors or agents within the community. Right. Which is the but, interesting shit. Right? Yeah. Which yeah. is like mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. that, that we often use the word community as a way to like, be like, yeah, we'll go community go for the, you know, we're going to bring it together. But it's the, it's the, uh, the differences of differences of opinion it's the different goals i feel like that are more interesting cuz i feel like you guys have been talking about that already with that assumption and you know just i guess yeah you know, i think yeah. that i know that you're wary of the word community and i'm careful to yeah always say art community rather than community right just because um Lots of people in the arts come to LACA, and um, that's the majority. Yeah. Um, But I think that the more people that are involved with LACA, uh, it takes away the fingerprint of of 
myself or when I started the project with Eric Kim, um, that we're not these uh, objective custodians of knowledge that we uh, we all fingerprint as much as we try not to. And so the more people involved, the more diverse the collection will be. It becomes less the Haley Lohman archive and and more of the communities. So uh, the more people bringing work in, mm -hmm. uh, the more its mission is realized. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. When you do, you can also rate the show, review it if you like, and certainly subscribe to it. It really helps us out. And you can also go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And now back to our conversation with Haley Lohman and Kim Zumfe. We've been having lots of conversations about what failure means in relationship to our different practices. And I feel like um, entering the physical space of LACA might be an interesting way to contextualize or think about a physical space before we actually think about our differences in the conversations that we've been having about failure and what that means in relationship to our work. Well, we're upstairs, which differs from our old space, which was in Vernon, next door to Gebeli Gallery and across the parking lot from Night Gallery, which I recently heard is des described as the salvage district. Now we're in Chinatown, and we're next door to the Chinatown Public Library, and we're in a plaza. And it's called Asian Center. It's also called Asian Tower. We're room 104 slash 8 because 4 is bad luck. Um, and 8 is good luck, I believe. Um, the space is shared with Contemporary Daily. And Lucky Dragons has a, a studio in the back. And you walk up the stairs. It's all medical shops underneath and then slowly there are art spaces um or artist studios upstairs and there are metal metal stacks uh kind of that like iconic library shelving um and we're holding artist books and then there's kind of these acid-free your typical acid-free boxes so what i think's interesting visually with archives is that they're usually basements. They're usually downstairs where there isn't light and they hold they hold and store materials so it's not the most aesthetically pleasing um, thing to look at. I mean you're looking at storage boxes. And alphabetized things. Yes, everything's alphabetized. We alphabetize off the artist name so the focus is the artist. And if there's more than one, then we use the title. There's also the online database. And I think that the database is actually one of the most special things about LACA, which is that you can access this material at any time. And the connections that happen with keywords that you could type in Kim's name and it would pop up 
your name working on a show at, that happened at LACA as an exhibition manager. Um, and it would also have artist books. And your name would pop up in so many other various ways. And it quickly can show the web work that happens, uh, the webbing of the arts. And plug the site real quick. It is LACA Archive. So it's L-A-C Archive. Share C-A. Right. And so when you go there, what do you what do you see? When you go, you are immediately um, you immediately see a search bar and then it brings you to the options if you want to contribute material that there's a variety of ways you can submit work uh, by sending it in the mail. You can fill out a document that um, and upload. You can browse um, and you can also search off name and publisher. So while we were creating this, the physical space, we were also designing um, kind of a flex- flexible architecture for the website because we didn't know yet what we were going to receive. And so we had to create a contribute page and um, and space for materials to go into that we didn't know what we were going to get. So it is broad, but I think that I would rather err on it being broad than it being exclusive. Right. Yeah, as we were building the wall for the space, it became um, a joke and very apparent that the wall became a metaphor for a kind of blockage of space between personalities and things that would be happening in the space, even though there was nothing at all there yet. Um, But we've also been having this conversation around what's failed and what's not, and you've been resisting a little bit, this word of failure for many reasons. Um, But I'd be curious to know uh, why you're resisting that, and then maybe I can talk about uh, why I embrace that as a kind of position yeah, I'd brought up uh, Hillary Jenkinson, who's an archivist, um, the term objective custodians of knowledge um, that to uh, bring in material to the archive that you are this neutral, that the archivist is this neutral acquirer of goods, that uh, there's a system and that's in place and they can process the materials without there being... Um, prejudice or perspective or their own story of arriving that day to process that materials. Yeah, I've also been kind of insisting with you as you've been discussing this, the idea that this archive, even though on the surface it appears like a normal archive, that is more like a living archive, which means it is always shifting and moving and trying to adjust to things that are happening contemporaneously, which makes it not like a traditional archive. Yeah, I mean... I had, I think that LACA is an experiment. And when we brought materials, when we started bringing materials in, I had these very kind of lofty goals that there was a way to rid these hierarchies that academic people have access. We're not attached to an institution, so we don't have to do certain things um, that institutions have to do that we can bring in the, the material um, and house it in the most like pure and neutral way. And that's become, that's an, it's an inevitable problem. Um, no matter how much I try to not have my fingerprint, 
um, it will develop. And that's how I talk about when I talk about failure. Um, it's interesting because the archive is still going to like lack of will continue, even though I've had this, these uh, constant kind of realizations like, well, with the oral histories, someone has to ask questions. I'm in your home. Um, I'm using your cup or like the kind of like power dynamics that exist or I get to take on the material and that I'm greeting and what I physically look like and how I talk and the perfume in the air, that these things all cause problems, but that the archive is going to continue and how the fact that it's living, at least we can constantly be changing and developing and this is, there is curation in the archive. Um, yeah, also points to a problem of maintaining, because when we think about maintaining, that's sort of holding something that already exists and keeping it existing rather than this other place where it's actually about selecting and choosing. And obviously that already happens in a lot of other archive or archival spaces or archival activities. Um, but I've been thinking, I mean, this is always something I've thought about, but thinking in relationship to... Um, white hetero supremacy, especially since in our current cultural condition since the election, that's become a lot more important to me. And then if you think about that in relationship to an art practice, in relationship to an archive, how these things overlap, um, I think I'm, I'm a lot more interested personally in ideas that are not about maintaining, that are about um, not becoming something, but being unbecoming, being things that don't fit in, being the place against progress or against success, um, that that can become a position, not in terms of is that my fingerprint or not my fingerprint, but sort of embracing the fact that there can't be success. And if you're trying to go towards success, then you're actually maintaining something that may not be viable, a viable place that you want to be, um, as opposed to coming to a place where you're embracing the fact that there's the fingerprint, you're embracing the personal emotional space that comes in and affects materials that are collected as an artist that affects my choices that I know that I'm not actually going to have that much of an impact and maybe I prefer not to. Yeah. And that becomes a place of failure and that becomes a place of um, empowerment as an individual who has a certain place in the world, a certain subjectivity. I think what's missing in the archive is also, in lack of stacks, is also of equal importance to what is also there. Um, when I think of like Jose Munoz um, and his ephemera as evidence that uh, ephemera could, for the queer community, could be uh, incriminating. And so... Um, not having residue, uh, having performances that ended and showing no signs of it was um, as as powerful or as necessary to be examined. Um, and I think of one archives when they get materials donated to them like uh, in the night and then they wake up in the morning and go to work and they find a package of 70 sex toys um, with no name. The fact that this is a closeted person that hasn't attached their name to it says as much, um, garners as much insight into the work. 
into the ephemera. Yeah, and I think it's necessary to for some people to stay in that position of illegibility. Um, that that, I mean, we have the dominant culture which makes people illegible, that makes those histories disappear. People of color, queer people, feminist histories, all these histories are being covered over and not maintained within archives, which is the relationship of the archive to these materials. But then there's art practices and people deciding in many various ways what is a value of their own practice to maintain or not maintain or or stay legible or keep to their community because that has more potency in sort of maintaining a position of um, either just creating a livable space, a space of love, a space of um, being able to just survive in the world day to day um, in a comfortable way, that these are things that people need to keep to themselves and that creates a whole aesthetic uh, within artists who are dealing with these issues. Yeah, we talked about failure being something that's measurable um, that if, if I, while I'm wary of using the word failure with LACA, um, because of maybe it's melancholy or it's loftiness, um, that if, if I, uh, if I use it, then I'm also, or if I avoid it and use it, I'm thinking about success and I'm thinking about these nonprofits and if anyone identifies as being a success and succeeding. Um, and maybe I just can't really look at it in that linear way. Right. Well, that that's just like a success based on the amount of time that it survives, which is an interesting parallel between bodies that are having trouble maintaining themselves in time. And then these institutions who are also interested in supporting these artists who are also maintaining in time and I think these um, this sort of space outside of time or sort of trying to discover the space. I call it in my work, I call it bent time, which is a direct relationship to queerness. Because bent is um, in German, it means queer. So it's this like bent time is this time that's other, somehow othered. Um, and I think it's not just individual artists. I think it is institutions. It is people working together. It is all these things. I think it can become a space where people can think about things differently um, if you can somehow bend it. I mean, something else that I examine other than the archives is the cemetery because um, there are places in the city that are rarely visited, but they're integral. Um they're also organized spaces and um, they're places where there are prescribed modes of memorialization and um, they both are about preservation. It's just of the body rather than maybe of the mind. And um, I mean, that's how I begin to explore time is looking at these kind of like the, when I hold like acid free or when I'm looking through the catalogs of acid free materials and it says this box will exist forever. Um, and yet we could spill wine on it or we could crush them with our hands and how the cemetery also uses language like eternity, um, that it gives kind of comfort that things will live on 
and maybe it's how I sort of begin to start looking at time. Yeah, in my piece I had recently, HR, part of the piece was um, being in complete darkness with other people. And so there's a space of, I think, this, thinking about the space of darkness and that space of almost eternity becomes a place of the meaninglessness. Like we actually can't quite comprehend what's happening there. And I think there's these polarities between people trying to maintain understanding of the many things we've been talking about, and then which builds meaning, which is essential to the archive or art activities or art production. But then it's always opposed to this place of complete meaninglessness or effacement of understanding of a, a groundedness or a place we can actually be. And I think that, not that it always lives in one polarity or another, but across that spectrum, I feel like um, a lot of issues that we're addressing crosses those polarities. Yeah, maybe we can finish by um, by talking about what happened when I went in to um, the safe space. I think that would be great. That'd be great. <laughs> the title of my piece was A Safe Space for People I Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Start to Love Weathering the Storm. Yeah, and I had kind of like a roller coaster of experiences inside of it. Uh, it started off as jolly, and then we did deep stretches, and then I had a panic attack. <laughs> and um, and then I had too much wine had heartburn. But I think that we could, <laughs> in the piece, um, you being there and kind of nurturing... Um, me through it is is just kind of to me a nice finale and it's a bit gloomy it was like you and I in a lavender box and then exiting yeah well in complete darkness and then crisis in which we were both present for each other and then being more just hanging out in the upholstered interior space and not in complete darkness. Sort of the movement of what happened. With somebody else there too. With somebody else there. <laughs> well let's let's end it on that very nice mental image. Haley, Kim, thank you for Thanks joining for us being on the people. On the people. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so you. much for having us. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to the people on Keichung, sixteen thirty AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find the people on iTunes by searching the iTunes store for the people radio. And when you're there, uh, do us a favor and leave us a rating uh, and a review. And then you can also find us at insertblancpress.net by clicking on the people at the top of the page. And you can find us wherever else you find your podcasts on Stitcher, for example. Uh, you can also find us on SoundCloud, uh, where we have all of our shows, as well as like other recordings from various other readings and performances. And you can also find us on Facebook. Yeah, like us there. And our theme music is Akfif by Lewis Keller. We're going to go out with a song from Los Angeles band Plus True Light. You can find their music on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. And the name of the song is 2043.